0: Yeah, Otto Kuhn and the funniest man from Düsseldorf. Yeah, thank you very much for tuning in. My name is Henning. I am the German comedy ambassador to the United Kingdom. Herzlich willkommen to Henning Knows Best. Uh, I've been asked to explore aspects of British society. And this week, we'll look at the British sense of humour. (laughs) The best in the world. (laughs) As every Brit will tell you. (laughs) Now, let's discuss the best marketing campaign in the world. Uh, No, not that the Austrians made the world believe Hitler was German and Beethoven Austrian. Uh, That only comes as a distant second. The best marketing campaign is that Brits say the funniest things. Well, if that would be the case, there would be no need for me being on the radio. (laughs) Uh, Contrary to the usual trademark modesty and understatement, no Brit will ever get tired of letting the world know with astonishing arrogance about his or her great sense of humour, which all other nationalities, and particularly Germans, lack. <laughs> this ignorance makes my job very easy, and this lecture a guaranteed success. <laughs> now, because either it'll be funny, or I confirm a national stereotype. <laughs> it's a win-win situation. Wunderbar. <laughs> and every stupid nonsense survey, and I'm using the term in the loosest sense of the word claiming Germans have the worst sense of humour in the world will get massive exposure in British media. Don't get me wrong, I enjoy debates that are based entirely on prejudice and not watered down by facts. But... <laughs> but seriously, how anyone can claim that the country that gave the world Herr Flick, Colonel von Strom, General von Klinkerhofen and Leutnant Gruber has no humour is beyond me? <laughs> And to know how frustrated other countries are with Brits unjustifiably banging on about their great sense of humour, well, it's how the rest of Britain views Liverpool. <laughs> A British humour started in earnest in the 17th century, when London became the dumping ground for people escaping from the 100-year continental sense of humour failure religious wars. <laughs> Catholics from Sweden, Huguenots from France... German Protestants, Jews from the Russian pogroms, all fled from a Europe that couldn't even accept an alternative prayer book. Still less a funny song about the Pope. (laughs) And I don't want to hear a bad word about the current Pope. Uh, Anyway, uh... (laughs) British humour grew out of this exposure to extreme dogma and intolerance, and having all been sent to live in London's East End, humour became a coping mechanism that valued sneering above all things. This culture of ridicule, interestingly, led to a decline in social violence. Dueling died out in Britain 100 years earlier than it did in Germany, and 200 years before it stopped in Italy and the United States. Because from the early 1700s, you couldn't have a duel in Britain without people standing around, sniggering, giggling and offering helpful advice. <laughs> and it was hard to have a glamorous death in such circumstances. And so in every town but Liverpool, the British abandoned ideas of honour. <laughs> only going back to them when given the opportunity to jail Pakistani cricket players. <laughs> The German language is best to convey humour. So we put the verb at the end of the sentence. And this makes the build-up to the punchline so exciting. (laughs) You don't know what's going to happen, but you do know who and why. (laughs) Still, despite having the perfect language for joke-telling, there are hardly any stand-ups in Germany. Because life in the fatherland is perfect. And there is no need to daydream and imagine what it would be like living in some parallel universe full of badgers, jam, and unicorns. <laughs> It's very much unlike Britain, where life due to unrealistically high expectations and below-par work ethic is an endless chain of crushing disappointments <laughs> with everyone needing constant cheering up. <laughs> honestly, honestly, saying a country with no stand-ups has no humour is like saying a country with no jails has no crime. <laughs> such as Somalia. <laughs> same, pub jokes in Britain and Germany are largely identical. An old codger falling over or getting a cake in the face is always funny, (laughs) even during a famine. (laughs) Also, two fat blokes, a cannibal or vicar guarantee a good pub joke in any country. Humour works worldwide, if the reference points are known, but if they're not you're in trouble. Last year I went out to Australia to the Melbourne Comedy Festival with my show, My Struggle. Are <laughs> uh, you a typical British audience, aren't you? Hee hee hee, a German, hee he, doing a comedy show, he, he, uh, called My Struggle, like Hitler's book, he, hee. He, yeah? and, and that wasn't a reaction in Australia at all. <laughs> Australia was like, yeah, hello, my name is Henning. Please uh, come and see my show. It's called My Struggle. And they were all like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it took me a long time to understand why that was. But in Australia, they've got a lot of German ancestry. It means they've got a very good understanding of German history and culture. And they don't just reduce us to those 12 years. <laughs> Which, as a human being, I really appreciated but from a professional point of view, I wish they were a bit more narrow-minded. <laughs> oh, now you do it so well over here. Uh, <laughs> and you have just been laughing about being less sophisticated than Australians. <laughs> uh, not a good state of affairs. Well, when I was still working in an office job, our offices were next door to a Polish restaurant and every day much hilarity was caused by a limitless number... You know where that joke's going, huh? uh,
1: uh,
0: Eastwards. Uh, no, uh, And there was much hilarity caused by a limitless number of variations of where are we going for lunch? Is Henning coming? We can't go to the Polish place, then he wouldn't leave. <laughs> and the whole office would erupt in laughter every day. Several times a day. And there was little I could do, because I had two options. Either I laughed along, or if I didn't, I opened the door for myriad versions of typical German, no sense of humour. <laughs> With someone else going, yeah, and that's why they invaded Poland, you know? <laughs> what can I say? It was funny the first 8,000 times. Uh, e- equally, when I'm on the golf course, and my ball happens to land in one of those sand pits. Now, you know where that one's going, too. <laughs> And there is a 100% chance, no, not of me chipping it in the hole, no, that never happens. So there is a 100% chance of someone saying, oh, he's worse than Hitler, always in the bunker. (laughs) And everybody will be bursting out laughing, even though if they've heard it 12,408 times before. (laughs) British humour can be summarised with the line, that always makes me laugh. (laughs) My, my friend Liam, he used to live in Hong Kong. Uh, likes to talk about a bus that was going to an area called Pak In. In Hong Kong, uh, you, uh, you know where that one's going. Yeah. <laughs> in Hong Kong, being Hong Kong, the bus was always crowded. And seeing a crowded bus going to Pak In <laughs> always made Liam laugh. And uh, Just retelling the story makes him always laugh. And uh, What is unique about Britain is the massive social importance of humour particularly the widespread usage of self-deprecation in the workplace. It's an infuriating concept. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell the people back home here at the recording, you know, quite a few candidates, I had a look early on, I have been in the venue bar since it opened. Uh, and tomorrow morning there will be at least one of you on the phone along the lines of, ooh, I went to the comedy recording yesterday, yeah, and went home, yeah, felt a bit peckish. I tried to fry an egg. Yeah, but I was so drunk I fell asleep. The next thing I know, the house is on fire. <laughs> you're yeah, a bit of a volley, aren't I? But you have to laugh, haven't you? Nine. Nine. You're, you're not a volley, you're a fully fledged idiot of the highest order. And you should be implementing steps to make sure that something like that never ever happens again. And the only person that's worse is that fellow on the other end of the phone. And that goes, <laughs> you really are a volley. Let's meet down the boozer. I get the first round in. Nine, nine. It's a very important rule of German humor. It's the concept of Schadenfreude. Never ever laugh with failure, only ever laugh at failure. <laughs> Stuart Pierce, 1990, Gareth Southgate, 1996. <laughs> what makes me chuckle is that it's perfectly acceptable to take the piss out of Germans or French, or ginger people, for that matter, (laughs) While society gets its knickers in a twist trying not to offend ethnic minorities. I mean, a few years ago, the BBC vetted old Only Fools and Horses episodes and cut out remarks, which could be considered derogatory to people from Asian or African background. But I wonder what would happen to Aloha (laughs) LAUGHTER and the BBC would decide to cut out all elements that might be deemed insensitive towards Germans. Listen very carefully. I shall say this only once. You have been watching. <laughs> but the fact is, Aloha Lo doesn't bother me. In fact, I absolutely love it. Because we all know Brits do have a strong tradition of mocking who they fear most. <laughs> You're right to be afraid. Third time lucky. (laughs) Yeah, well, to give us an idea what really makes the Brit laugh, welcome to the stage, Andy Hamilton. (laughs) Andy is one of the UK's most successful comedy writers, having co-written... Yeah, true. uh, Having
2: co-written the likes of Outnumbered... Yeah. ..Drop the Dead Donkey... Yeah, don't mention the Bernie Winters show. No, you didn't do that, did not you? No, 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 no.
0: It's good to have jokes coming out of the radio, and yeah. then.
2: Yeah, yeah. I got I, in trouble once. When I started at BBC radio, I wrote on a show called Weekending, and we used the word piss. And the <laughs> controller of Radio 4, we got this memo saying that he didn't want piss coming out of the radio at five. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so far from what you have heard in the first half, what do you make of that
2: perspective of British humour? Yeah, yeah. Well, from a particular point of view, wasn't it? Yeah, no, I... I, I... <laughs> I always get a little bit wary of the sort of generalisations about national uh, senses of humour and stuff, because I I think that fundamentally the core of humour is universal, you know. which is that I think journalists often ask you, you know, what is a joke? They, uh, They ask you to define what is the essence of a joke. And it's very difficult. There are loads of different kinds of jokes, different varieties. But the nearest I've ever come to a definition is that I think that a joke is usually a shared acceptance of powerlessness. Because if you look at most jokes, they are nearly all about things we can't control. Getting older, uh, disease, death, our political masters, traffic wardens, you know, they're, they're, they're all about things we can't control. And I think probably almost as soon as we invented language, you know, as soon as the cavemen discovered language and could string a joke together, I bet... The first jokes were about saber-toothed tigers and, and lightning. So, and when
0: you say it. <laughs> When you say it's all about things you can't control, so how do you explain then all those mother-in-law jokes? Well... <laughs> it's also uncontrollable I, force of nature. I think
2: there probably was fear, yeah. I think maybe, you know, in a time when it was quite a good chance you'd be living with your mother-in-law. You know, that's what we forget, is that uh, those jokes arose in, in homes which were extended families. It was quite often the mother-in-law was in the house. Well, uh, in Italy, they would live with their mother... Yeah. So at least you have to think mother-in-law is one better, isn't it? But yeah, yeah, but in Italy, I wonder, do they, tell, do they tell mother-in-law jokes? Do you have mother-in-law jokes in Germany? Otto? No. <laughs> are, they, are they just too depressing to joke about? Yeah, he just went through a divorce. So, <laughs> yeah. Was it the accordion that caused the divorce? <laughs> what was your understanding, Andy, of German humour? I'm not an expert, by any means, but it, I, I have had stuff on German TV... Many years ago, I was contacted by a writer who was putting together uh, a package uh, of material for sketch shows for Germany. He rang me up and said, have you got any jokes, any sketches that I can send over to Germany? I said, well, what do the Germans laugh at? And he said, well, basically, toilets and death. <laughs> so, so I suppose in that sense, the demise of Elvis Presley is the perfect German joke. What makes you laugh, Andy? Someone getting run over by the bus
0: or getting work Yeah,
2: I'll spend hours uh, at a busy junction sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> just, just waiting for that to happen. I'll try, I'll try and distract people as they come in across. <laughs> um, he said, why do people laugh at things again and again? But often you laugh at the memory of how much you laughed the first time. And I can remember being in a, a restaurant in America with my friend Jay Tarsis, who's an American writer, and he said, I don't really know this place. And we sat down, we opened the menu, and it's a fantastically pretentious, overwritten menu. And item 38 was Princess Diana Clams. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right. So he thought... You read that, but there was a rubric next to it, okay, like there was next to all the dishes and it said Princess Diana Clams, she loved these as we loved her <laughs> <laughs> And we got the giggles <laughs> So that when the waitress came over, we were actually helpless you know, you know that giggle where actually all that happens is stuff comes out of your facial orifices And... and uh, She went away quite offended and came back. And then I tried to order Princess Diana Clans, (laughs) which meant that I just, my voice was reduced to a splutter. And I think it's just those kind of absurd, dissonant notes that sort of uh, surprise you and ambush you, you know. What's your favourite joke, then? Personally, I must say, I really enjoyed a uh, slapstick.
0: Uh, Mr Bean yeah. and uh, Benny Hill, and that always makes me laugh. Are I mean, you a Benny were... Hill
2: fan? Oh, yeah, big time. So and... when you came to Britain, did you think we all walk really fast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well... and, cha- and chase after girls across the continent. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: think it was the other way around. He was always being chased after, wasn't he, by the girls? But, yeah, i expected to see a bit more of that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Is it it me, or is the accordion starting to sound sarcastic? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's...
0: (laughs) Now it's jolly again. Well, Andy Hamilton! Thank you. What instantly attracted me to the comedy scene was its Teutonic structure. Uh, the fun seems to be based on strict rules which have to be obeyed at all times. Uh, the process of getting booked and the performing itself are particularly thorough. An act will agree with a comedy club promoter months in advance to be funny on a specific date <laughs> at a specific time for specific lengths of time, say June the 12th from 9.34pm to 9.53pm. <laughs> And the act might have been on top of the world in the afternoon of that day, feeling all funny, ha-ha, but then has an apple crumble (laughs) with custard, too much custard. As a result, he feels queasy and doesn't want to go to the gig but stay indoors and watch match of the day. Yeah, but He mustn't let this affect his performance and show military discipline, uh, which only goes to show that success in stand-up comedy, just like success in everything else in life, is down to determination and efficiency, which explains why Germans are best suited to do it. <laughs> Very few do stand up comedy because stand up comedy is pointless. The best case scenario is you leave the stage after 20 or even more minutes to the same level of applause that you were initially brought onto the stage. The only thing dafter than applause is the constant threat of having to perform an encore, the strangest thing in show business, a punishment for being good at your job. <laughs> Imagine you did a great day's work and your boss would tell you, oh, you've done a great innings today. You're really on a roll. Why don't you stay for another two hours? (laughs) Unpaid, of course. The problem with being a comedian is that everybody goes, oh, you're a comedian. Tell us a joke. And I wonder how frequently a heavyweight boxer... (laughs) get approached with the words, Ooh, are you really an undefeated world heavyweight super champion? Uh, smash me one in the face. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: not just a little biff, uh, right out beating up, please. <laughs> all the comics you see at really big level or small level, we're all united. We're all very, very worried that one day we're considered outdated irrelevant old hat like the 1970s comics they were all telling their mother-in-law jokes and everyone thought they were hilarious and nowadays no one thinks they're hilarious but it's not the performers fault because they haven't changed they're still telling exactly the same jokes they've always told and the only thing that has changed is society's perception of what they do zeitgeist has moved on so i'm in that strange situation i make a decent living here in britain we're telling jokes about football and the Holocaust. <laughs> That's not what I want to talk about, but it's the only thing that you as my customer base, the great British public, it's the only thing you want me to talk about. <laughs> and being a good German, I'm only following your orders. <laughs> and well, how much longer will I be able to do what I do? I was very worried six years ago when Germany hosted Football World Cup 2006 and presented itself to the world as what it is. It's a beautiful country full of very pleasant people. So with so many English people coming over, I was incredibly worried. I thought, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear, let's hope the stereotypes don't change. (laughs) Uh, They need to worry. Uh. (laughs) I got back to Blighty two days after the World Cup final, Stan Static Express. And there was a copy of the Daily Mail. And they have a flick through. And the question of the day in the Daily Mail, two days after the final of the best organised World Cup ever. The question of the day in the Daily Mail was, did the RAF save Britain from Hitler? As <laughs> a <I thought>, result. <laughs> Thank God for that, I'm still relevant, nothing's changed.
1: Thank God.
0: Now, mean, yeah, that's today's society. What will the future be like? Well, I know a little bit, because I recently got asked to perform at something that's called Comedy for Kids. And comedy for kids is a very simple concept. It's aimed at pretentious parents uh, who will drag their spoiled offspring to an art centre where the kids have to listen to some jokes they won't get. (laughs) It's an utterly ridiculous concept, start to finish. But anyway, I went in there because I thought, well, loads of... Future customers get them early and all that. (laughs) Uh, So I did. It was in Maidstone. So I went on stage saying, hello, little ones. Who in here has ever heard of Germany? And then 200 little ones put their hands up. So I was very pleasantly surprised by that. So then I thought, well, kids in Britain between the age of six and ten, what will they know about Germany? Have they got any first-hand experience? Have they been with their parents on the Rhine cruise? You know, if it's girls, do they know German composers? Or if it's boys, uh, do they know German car manufacturer, BMW, Mercedes, Rover? (laughs) And I couldn't imagine any of those things. And then with genuine curiosity, I approached the first boy, give or take eight years old. I said, what do you know about Germany? And he said, they bombed Jouville. (laughs) So I go to the next boy, again, give or take eight years old, and I say, what do you know about Germany? Naughty Hitler! (laughs) I was furious. I hated them, I hated their parents, and I hated their grandparents for passing on that nonsense. I mean, I hated their grandparents more than my grandparents hated their... (laughs) I wanted to kill them all. (laughs) Germany is a beautiful country. Germany is great for arts, great for science, great holiday destination, pleasant people, great climate, brilliant food. Germany is a fantastic country. So why here in Britain do we always get reduced to those 12 years that never ever happened anyway? (laughs) And then I had another thought and I thought, hang on, Henning, do you know what that bigotry means? Lifelong job security!
1: I will sing now this tune with my head voice, which I trained by yachtling every day. And for those who did not understand that, it will sound a little bit like the Bee Gees. <laughs> we rule the world the british say all through the ages and still today the commonwealth is in full thing brits say the funniest things continent is over there but we do not care and long It's all ruled by our queens and kings Brits say the funniest things Global currency is the British pound It's what makes the world go around We take the markets under our wings Brits say the funniest things Brits has the best sense of humour It's more than just a rumor. They say they are the humor kings. Brits say the funniest things.
0: course, Henning knows best, and uh, what have we learned today? British and German jokes are identical, but Germans don't make a big song and dance about it. (laughs) I'm bad at golf, but good at exploiting stereotypes, and there shouldn't be comedy for kids. There should be homework for kids. And loads of it at that. Thanks so much for listening, and uh, keep supporting the Daily Mail! (laughs)
1: That was Henning
0: Now's Best, hosted by Henning Bain, that's me, and featured Andy Hamilton, their wunderbare Otto Kuhnle, and was written by the cast, and Kent Valentine and Liam Malone. It was produced by Paul Russell, and was an open mic production for
1: BBC Radio 2. Hadning been, hanging in, he knows fest Penning Ben, Henning Ben, He knows fest.